Hello and welcome to Food Network Obsessed, the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a serious entrepreneur on the podcast who talks all about his experience starting one small food truck with his cousin and growing it to a multi-million dollar business success. But before we get to that, we have a quick note for our listeners. We are going to take a break from releasing a new episode next week, but don't worry. We will be back the week after next with a brand new episode. So make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. I'm so excited. So let's get to it. Our guest today is a Scarborough, Maine native, co-founder of Cousins Maine Lobster. And you know him from hosting the Food Network series, Grill of Victory, it's Sabin Lomack. Sabin, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing Woo. today? Woo! Oh, I love it. Did, I love you, did you hear that? They, we're changing the energy. We're starting really big energy I, after, after that. We need you need I need to give it to you back. I love it. I love the energy. I love the enthusiasm. And I'm excited to have you on because I actually am sort of obsessed with Maine. Obviously, that's where you're from. And we're gonna talk all about that and Cousins Maine Lobster, Grill of Victory on Food Network. But let's start with Maine. You grew up in a small town there. What was your childhood like? Man, my childhood was definitely unique. You know, I was raised by my mother only my entire life. No brothers, no sisters. So just mom and myself. And, you know, we grew up in this coastal town called Scarborough, a little nook of it called Pine Point. Maine is beautiful. In hindsight, you know, you see the beauty of Maine. When I was a kid, I was like, man, I want to get out of Maine. I want to leave. But, <laughs> but it was awesome. You know, it was really, really nice. We didn't have a lot growing up. Our first house didn't have heat for the first eight years of our life in wow. Maine. But we had a lot of love, a lot of fun. And, you know, it, it made me who I am. That's a important. I grew up in Montana and I feel the same way. Like at the time, you know, you're like, oh, I don't want to go to Glacier Park again. And, that, <laughs> and now I'm like, I want to go to Glacier. I can't yeah, that's all, that's all you want to do is go to Glacier Park now. <laughs> yeah. no, You don't know how good you have it, I think, until you leave, especially, you know, you're in New York. I went to New York for college and even then, I think at some point in your 30s, I don't know when it is, you're like, damn, I had a really good school. <laughs> it's actually really cool to be safe and quiet and fun and serene. You know, Maine is special. Let's talk about the food in Maine, because obviously lobster comes to mind right away. But what else is is Maine known for? What else do you recommend people try when they visit the state? Obviously the seafood. <laughs> but, you know, Maine blueberries, yes. Maine corn, just all the dishes. There are these hearty kind of rustic dishes that people make. And it reminds you know, shepherd's pie. It's kind of it kind of reminds you of those like heartier dishes because it's usually really, really cold. I mean, it's not as beautiful as what you see right now in the summertime, right? You're like, oh, I love Maine. Yeah. I'm in February and see how much <laughs> you love it. You know, but I, I would say just soups, chowders, potato-rich dishes, the corns, the lobster rolls, all the seafood dishes, risottos. You know, there's so many amazing restaurants now in Maine so mm -hmm. you can go and kind of mix and match. But when I was growing up, it was kind of felt like this just really charming blue collar area, which offered the best seafood, just fantastic fresh seafood, ways to make fish and haddock. To me, haddock is special. It's my grandfather's favorite food. And when I think of it, I just think kind of those rustic dishes. You know, we talk about Cousins Maine Lobster. We talk about sitting at the picnic table with corn and lobster roll and butter and 
blueberry pie and pasta salad and potato, all those things that kind of remind you of your childhood and kids getting in trouble and us trying to steal the wine. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what it reminds me of. So that's Maine to me. It's, it does, it's not super glamorous, but it's really, really charming. No, I mean, the, the, the seafood is for sure unmatched. I just actually worked with a, a seafood company from Maine. I made some haddock fish tacos, like Baja styles. Oh, how did it go? I mean, great. It's so good. I'm like, I crave them all the time. The seafood is is so good. I love that in the summer you can drive down the road and people are just selling blueberries like on the side of the road. And like, they're the best blueberries you've ever had. I love the food there. I'm curious if, if as a kid you were as interested in food as you are now? No, I don't think so. When I was a kid, I was interested in sports and girls. I wasn't really too into I, I ate a lot. I remember, you know, I had the craziest appetite as a kid, but no, I wasn't too into it. But I worked in restaurants my whole life. I, you know, I started working, I think when I was 12, the first one was at this place called the Clam Bake. And I was making coleslaw and batter and all the stuff. When I got in the car after my mom would pick me up, she'd make me take my shirt off because it smelled like, you know, fried food. <laughs> then I worked in a million restaurants, honestly, like over 40 restaurants wow. in Southern Maine when I was a kid, partially due to the fact that I was a terrible employee. And then when <laughs> I moved to New York, I was a waiter. And it wasn't until I moved to New York, I think, that I really started appreciating food because we couldn't afford really nice dinners when we were a kid. I think a nice dinner was us going out to pizza. You know, it wasn't fancy. I didn't even know fancy existed, truthfully. So I remember working at Morton's, I would see kids coming in and their parents buying in fillets and stuff. And I'd be like, man, I I was a kid. I didn't even know what this was. So I didn't think I had a great appreciation for it. But I realize now in hindsight how much it bound our family together. Food binds people together in general, whether it's in Dallas or whether it's California or wherever. There's just this regional specialties that usually, you know, kind of keeps groups together. So for us, it was, of course, lobster and stuff like that. But I didn't appreciate it as a kid. No, now definitely yes. How did you make that transition then from, you know, working in restaurants to I'm going to start a, a food truck with my cousin? Uh, alcohol. <laughs> Isn't that how a lot of stories yeah. start? Yeah, I was out here. I, you know, I, I sold real estate uh, in Los Angeles and my cousin came to visit me. He's the baby cousin. I'm the oldest one. So, you know, he's like the runt. We used to always beat up. And <laughs> I took him out to like this fancy schmancy sushi in LA and I wanted to show him a good time. And the more we drank, the more we started getting honestly emotional about our childhood. And, you know, uh, I was probably 30 at the time. He's 26. And he's like, man, I haven't seen you in years. How's it been? You know, my grandfather had passed away. We were talking about just life. And we realized how much we missed each other and how much we missed that kind of bond. And then we started, well, man, we should do something together. You know, what would we, we should do? Yeah. Hell yeah. Shot, shot, shot. <laughs> you know, alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. You know, what should we do? Yeah. You know, and then we just kind of thought, what about lobster? You know, and then you're like, well, what would we do? And how would that go? And the more you drink, the more genius the idea develops and mm-hmm. sounds. Um, then we just kind of said, let's do this. Yeah, what the hell? Let's do it. We woke up the next morning, terribly hungover, didn't talk about it for you know a week or two. And then he called me. He's like, what do you think about that? And I was like, because eh, it didn't sound as good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it definitely didn't sound as good. You know, you're like, well, I don't know, man. I'm pretty good right now. But lo and behold, he was pretty persuasive. So we ended up doing it. And why, why a food truck and not you know a restaurant to start? We looked into both. You know, we, we weren't sold on one or the other. But when you start researching the startup costs, the lease commitments, the personal guarantees that come with a restaurant, it's scary and daunting. So for us at that time, it was too much. Hmm. Too scary, too daunting, too much money, 
too much. This was going to be a side project. This was not a career. This was not something that was going to make us millions of dollars. We really just wanted to break even and, and work together and do something fun. It was not, this was not done for money. We just didn't want to lose money. I started looking at the food trucks in Los Angeles, which back then were just kind of starting to bubble. You know, it was just starting to get a little more acceptable and cool. I was just standing there counting tickets and seeing how many tickets this person could do a day and how many a shift. And then I researched how much it was. We bought our first truck for 65000 Not that much. We had savings. Okay. And hope it works. That was really kind of all that went into it. So restaurants are just so much so much more scary. I mean, were you afraid of a failure at all? Or did you have a feeling this could be something special? I was definitely afraid of failure. You know, I just didn't, we didn't want to lose. We're competitive guys. So we don't want to lose. That fueled us. Obviously, no one wants to lose money. We were scared, but I think you just go into it so blind. And that's kind of the beauty, I think, of actually fulfilling your dream or doing something is you are so naive. And that actually can work to your advantage because you can overthink and outthink and outsmart yourself if you break something down too much. Inevitably, you just got to go for it and go, what the hell, figure it out. Yeah. What kind of kept you moving towards that first opening? You know, I think for, for us, we just, I think just the competition, the fact that we believed in ourselves, the fact that we wanted to probably just proving it to ourselves that we could do it, mm. you know, proving it to each other. Every time we would have a little bit of a setback and then we overcame it, it was electrifying. It was like, yeah, we figured that, that out. Yeah, that was like, yo, what's up? Yeah, you know, like, hey, you'll never guess. I got a permit today. Woo! You know, like the littlest things seem so monumental. Once you just start getting momentum and you start flowing and, and whatever business this is, you know, it doesn't matter. But once you start getting a little and you go, oh, wait, I could maybe do this. Oh, oh man, I could do this. Oh, you know, then it just it just keeps spiraling and, and doubling down. We just started getting going. And once that train started, it wasn't coming off the tracks. Another thing we did, too, is we would email each other every week. I'd have a week and he'd have a week. And if it was my week, this was really in the closing couple months as we were getting close to launching. I'd email him and I'd take a photo of like a, a beautiful house in the Hollywood Hills and I'd attach it in the email. I'd say, hey, come over to my house. I'm having a barbecue today. <laughs> or I'd say, hey, check out my new car. Da, 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 da. In hindsight, it was just continuing to churn and motivate him and motivate us on goals. How, how did you you know, approach getting the word out about your business at the time as you were getting ready to open? We really didn't do it quite well. We had a Twitter with probably 200 followers. Maybe they're probably all my mom's friends. <laughs> uh, we had a Facebook with you know 300 followers, but it was really grassroots. And what I chose to do is I was taking uh, using photos of Jimmy and I as we were kids with my grandfather on the rocks in Maine, and we were connecting that to the authenticity that we aimed to provide, which was bringing the bread and the rolls from Maine, which is a must if you're going to have a lobster roll, right? And bringing the best fresh Maine lobster at the time, which was a must. It was boom, boom, that simple. I hoped that people, when they saw it, they'd be intrigued and believe in the authenticity. Urban Daddy, which I didn't know what was, but it's a website that promotes what's going on and hot in the area at the time. I don't know if they still do it, but they put us on their cover for our launch for what's hot in LA on Friday. You know, A friend of mine told me, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. How did that happen? I don't know how they saw it. And then the day that we opened, one of the casting directors and producers of Shark Tank saw that and went, met us. And when we came home the first night, we had an email from Shark Tank asking if we would want to come on the show or at least apply to go on the show. That all happened incredibly quickly. Wow. But, to, but, but, but for marketing purposes, we didn't do much. We didn't know what to do. You don't know what your company stands for when your company doesn't even really exist. It takes so long to kind of find that and, and over the time grow it. 
so so Shark Tank reaches out, which has to be you know incredibly thrilling. But I understand you said no initially. Yeah, you, well, they reached out. They were kind of like the food truck industry in there. They were just getting really warm too. I think it was we were on season four, so they were just starting to bubble. I didn't know what the show was. Jimmy knew. He was like, "This is awesome. This is huge." But as as we spoke to them, we didn't turn down the offer because of ego or because we didn't think anything negative. That show is a beast and they're all amazing people. It was because we felt, A, we weren't sure of how the mentorship would, would come into play, number one. And number two, we didn't want to look bad on TV. <laughs> and God forbid the role was cold and they said it wasn't great. And then we're like, oh, we just told 9 million people that they didn't like our food. Oh, what were we thinking? You know, And we had just opened. The first month we did like 65,000 in sales. The next month we did 85,000 in sales. So we were cranking you know, every single day, selling out. We were so busy. We just weren't sure if it was the right move for us. Inevitably, thank God we did it. So once you finally agreed to do it, how did you prepare for that opportunity? We watched about 50 episodes. We created those index note cards you know, that you used to study on in high school probably, <laughs> yep. right? And what we noticed was the sharks oftentimes have similar questions episode in and out. But after we started watching, we're like, wait, Mark always asked these type of questions. Mm. Barbara always asked these types of questions. So we just wrote down the question and how they would spin it to us. We wrote what we thought was a flawless answer and we stood up and quizzed each other. So I'd pretend to be Kevin O'Leary and Mr. <laughs> Wonderful and I'd direct this one to Jim. And then he'd stand up and he'd be Barbara and we just did it all the time, nonstop. We'd go on runs in my neighborhood in, in West Hollywood and we'd be jogging and we'd practice our pitch. And we'd go so far as to like, going into the bathroom, looking in the mirror, trying to distract the other person as he's answering questions. In hindsight, I think that's why we, were, we did so well because we were really, really prepared. And when we were on the show, we knew what the questions they were going to ask as they were coming out of their mouth. So it wasn't that we were the smartest guys in the world. It's just that we were really, really well prepared. Yeah. I mean, preparation is, is one of the most important parts of success, right? And yep, yep. when you did step in front of the judges and, and that moment right before everything starts, I mean, what's going through your mind? It was very scary. You know, when you walk out, you actually stand there for a couple seconds before you pitch and you're looking and the lights are bright and it's hot on the set and there are no do-overs. That show is real. You always wonder how real reality TV mm -hmm. is. It's very real. There are no like, uh, can I do that again? Can I cut? And uh, like, it doesn't work that way. It was very, very scary. The lead up was scary. You know, the days coming into it, I'm not going to lie. I was scared, but I think we really handled ourselves well. Yeah. I mean, Barbara Corcoran ended up uh, being the one to invest in you guys. So what was it like to get that yes from her? Well, that's who we wanted. We targeted Barbara going into it. We'd heard really nice things about her for the fact that she was really invested in the people because she had retired. So this was kind of her second life. Uh, she wasn't running a day job. So we knew she had the time. She seemed kind. She seemed kind of reminded us of our moms. We we're very close with our moms. So we, there's something charming about her. And we heard she'd done well with some food groups. Mm. So we targeted her. We wanted her. When we got it, we were thrilled, but still leading up. Even after that was done, we were still kind of, God, I hope this is going to be what it is. You know, we weren't popping champagne after. We were like, God, did we do the right thing? Was that, was that the right thing? Oh, I hope. Because you, you still don't know what it's going to be like to work with Barbara. And you don't know what the episode's going to look like because it's going to air four months from now. Mm -hmm. So you don't know all of these things. Knowing what I know now, it was the best thing that could have happened. And she is unreal, as are the other sharks. We've got to know them very well. They're so cool and kind and helpful. But the show itself is a beast. It changed our lives. And Barbara now is more like family. So when I see her, you know, I'm going over there, kicking my feet up and playing Scrabble at her house and just <laughs> talking trash. Like it's not, it's not, a, it's a totally different relationship. And she's, she's really been cool. 
What, what do you think is the most valuable benefit, at least in your guys's case, of going on the show? I mean, because I think some people, obviously, it's the publicity, right? So was mm-hmm. it publicity? Was it the actual money and, and investment? Or was it Barbara mm-hmm. and, and her mentorship and now friendship? People do try to go on for the, for the publicity and for the TV time. We didn't go on for that purpose. We believed at that moment that we had something special because we were couple months in and it was like wildfire in LA with this. So we believed we had something special, but we had no business experience whatsoever. The opportunity to have mentorship was important. So I think in hindsight, that was definitively the best thing that could have happened to us because she did provide us a lot of mentorship and a lot of education, some of which is just kind of common sense stuff that you overthink. Barbara just, she shoots from the hip. She's not, she's not scared of anything. She just says, boom, go. Yeah, do Mm -hmm. it. So if I said, I have this idea I think I should do, she's like, do it. So she just taught us to be ourselves. That all being said, the publicity is insane. Yeah. You can't deny that. But you have to go on with like a genuine desire to get better. Like anything in life, you have to be ethical and want to do that. When we come back, more with Sabin on the challenges of scaling his business, his advice for entrepreneurs, and we talk about why mentorship plays such an important role in his life. How many, how many food trucks and restaurants do you guys have now? 35 food trucks, nine restaurants, and counting. You know, we have a, a, a pretty robust e-commerce platform and growing. You know, we've actually been pretty slow with our growth, although it seems very fast. Mm-hmm. We've actually been really picky and slow with where we're going to open and who we're going to open with. We moved to a franchise model, so we still have our own corporate units, but we have traditionally, most of our growth has been from franchise model. And the people that we partner with have been amazing. And that was one of the biggest question marks when we started. And we've seen other people do it where they have the opportunity to franchise and they just go and they throw and they go at a million miles an hour and they do it with the wrong people and not knowing how to do it and their business crumbles. What are the challenges in terms of scaling a business versus starting one? You know, we kind of talked about like your your trepidation and, and not knowing what you were doing. So now that it has grown and you guys are, you know, doing all these different franchises, what are the new challenges? The first challenge when you start is actually just doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Most people have all these great ideas and they don't believe in themselves and they just don't do it. It's that simple. So I think that's the first start for people. If you have an idea, you got to do it. But now I think the biggest challenge is if you're scaling is consistency for sure. It's a wild caught product. There's seasonality. There is massive price fluctuations. Say, yeah. ma- massive <laughs> price fluctuations. And there's also for us a really big challenge in teaching people how valuable Maine lobster is. People on the East Coast know, but people in the Midwest or, or the West Coast, it wasn't as accessible when they were growing up. So it's harder for them to understand the price and the valuation when they get it. But I think for most people, you grow, how do you make it the best? Like your first one is always the best. How do you duplicate it? <laughs> what, what kind of advice would you give to other you know, entrepreneurs, dreamers out there that are thinking about doing the same thing? Do it. Do it. Yeah. You know, like don't complicate it. I think if you're going to do it, do it for the right reasons. Don't do it to make $10 million. Do it because you really like it. And that sounds cheesy because we all want to make money. But if you go into a business and you always want to cut corners to make more money, I don't think it's going to be successful. When we did this, we really didn't care about how much money we made because we had jobs. So we bought the most expensive lobster. When we did that and you came and you tried our role, it was the best you've ever had. That's why you came back. I tell people, if you're going to do something, don't be cheap. Don't be scared. 
go in and actually do it. And then you won't have hindsight of going, you know, I was gonna, oh yeah, I I had that idea, but I, and you kind of stayed in your box. When I was a kid, no one told me that you could do something like this. So when I talk to entrepreneurs, people or dreamers, I just encourage them to actually do something. And once you realize that you actually can, it's like gas on a fire, you know? And if you do it the right way, you're kind, you're ethical, you put your ego aside and you actually provide a really good service, then you'll, you'll succeed. It's really cool. I think that's great advice. And I, I know mentorship is, is really important to you, both on the business side and, and personally. I know you're involved with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Los Angeles. You've started your own nonprofit, Cousins for a Cause. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, when I was a kid, as I said, I grew up with just my mother my whole life. Um, didn't have really any male influences. And when I was about 11, 12, you know, I started getting into a lot of trouble and you know had problems with the police, problems in school. I was lucky enough, my mom put me on a wait list for Big Brothers Big Sisters. And after two years, I got matched with a big. He really helped me turn my life around. And he was just, all he did was show up at some of my games and hang out with me and get a pizza. So like he was just a person that was present. He didn't reinvent the wheel. And I've learned over the years, that's what mentorship really is. That's what Barbara does for us. She didn't come in and do something that's so magical that you're going to, I'm telling you, and you're like, oh, the secret sauce. She's just present. She's really kind and she listens and helps and, and really just reaffirms my own confidence. That's what he did for me. So fast forward 20, whatever years later, I'm a big brother to a, a young man here in Los Angeles, encouraging mentorship, encouraging whether it's helping kids, uh, giving back to communities, people that are disadvantaged, people that that don't um, have the the head start that some people do. I think it's just really important. Um, and in 2016, you were actually awarded National Big Brother of the Year. I mean, yeah. I, I can only imagine what that meant to you personally, just you know, hearing your story and how important these mentors were in your life and in your giving back. I mean, what did that mean to you? That was the coolest. That was the um, one of the top moments of my life for sure. And my little brother gave it to me. And uh, it was really, it was really meaningful to be, especially coming from a position uh, of as a little brother, you know, and a young man who was really lost at the time to being recognized for helping people and raising awareness for the need to help. It was awesome. I think the biggest misconception when it comes to volunteering is that you have to be an expert in something or you can't have your own flaws. You can't have your own problems. You can. You don't need to be the best at something, but you can still definitely volunteer and give back and change someone's life. And I think, again, that's like the same misconception with starting a business. You have to be a businessman or, or you have to be perfect at something. Everyone started with nothing at some point. If you want to give back and mentor, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know how to do it. You, you just figure this stuff out. So whether it's mentoring kids or doing something in your community, just do it. We need it. This whole country and the world needs everyone to step up a little bit. Well, Saban, we are here on Food Network Obsessed, so we definitely want to talk about your latest show on the network, Grill of Victory. It's a fun show. I mean, you've got home cooks. They're competing in these very unique challenges. They're trying to win the ultimate outdoor grilling oasis. Uh, it's the perfect summer show. What what was uh, filming like for you? I love doing this. Uh, you know, I've had the fortune and uh, the good luck of working with Food Network over the years, and it just keeps getting better and better. And I've done a lot of really cool shows. This was the best. They encouraged me to be myself and to be loose and spontaneous and fun. And that's where I feel like I, I thrive when I'm, I'm not scripted and I just kind of get to have fun. And I really like to get to know the judges as well as the, uh, the contestants. And when you put that energy out there, Everyone just has a little more fun, but it was it was a blast. The place, our, our shoot location was amazing in Knoxville, and 
The city itself of Knoxville is cool. I was just bumming around eating the whole time. It was awesome. Have you had, you know, an inkling of like wanting to be on TV previous to, you know, the last few years? Or is this kind of something that just happened? No, you know, when I was a kid, I used to do plays and I used to do TV commercials and this and that. When I went to college, I studied drama and speech communications and I did, play, you know, more plays and I, I did off-Broadway plays and stuff like that. I did some TV shows. It was kind of like um, something I really liked doing. I liked performing. And uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, I did a little bit of it and I started doing real estate and I was really successful. So I said, I'll do this if it works out. We started Cousins and then I was all in on Cousins. And then organically, um, it just kind of came back. And Food Network, I started giving, you know, I was a guest star on this or a featured person on that. And it's so fun. I really, really appreciate doing it. I love it. Seems like you guys had a good time. You mentioned some of the judges on the show, Darnell Ferguson, who <laughs> yeah. we had on the podcast, yeah, Gray Frazier, Christian Petroni, also a podcast guest. I can only imagine oh, um, the fun you guys had on that set. But what what did you guys get up to behind the scenes? If they, it's something that you can share. <laughs> they cannot leave us together again. Like that was a bad decision. You cannot put us together and assume that the roof isn't going to explode just from the personalities in itself. It was awesome. Those guys are hysterical. It took us all of like two minutes to become like brother and sister and just talking as much trash as possible. Christian, of course, right off the bat, I mean, he's ridiculous. Trigay and I, I think, have probably the closest relationship and really a, one I, I value and appreciate. She's just so funny and I love to like get under her skin and actually just, I talk nonstop trash to her. It is like, <laughs> it is from, from, from morning when, you know, we would show up on set and every morning I would come in and I'd be blasting a new, like I'm a rap guy. So I, you know, hip hop. So I bring my portable speaker and I would just be it was six, six in the morning, you know, she's doing hair and makeup, whatever. And I am blasting, you know, maybe a Jay-Z Kanye song or something loud. And I come <laughs> kicking that, I come kicking down the door and I'm dancing because I want everyone to get that energy right away. The whole crew is listening. I'm, I'm running through the whole set, getting everyone energized. And Trigay was the person who was so mad every morning, not having it, you know, because it <laughs> not was, a morning person. she was so not a morning person, but she was awesome. Susie was amazing. Darnell, really cool. He became, he, they're all good friends. You know, it, it's funny how close we all became in such a short amount of time. Uh, how would you rate your own grilling skills, by the way? I'd rate them like at like a 9.1. My okay. my wife would probably rate them at like a 7.9. And my best friend would rate them at like a 6.2. So there you go. <laughs> so some, somewhere it, in between somewhere is, in is, the, is the actual rating. You know what the thing about grilling is? I think it's the perfect place to talk trash when you're cooking with your friends. Like my best <laughs> friends, they're just the guys that hover, and stand over you in the back like this. The like, beer. Like, oh man, yeah, you need to flip that. Oh, you didn't flip that? Oh. Hey, Kevin, he didn't flip it. Yeah, no, he didn't. You know, like it's it's just one of those. He's like, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And then if you're drinking, then you start getting in your own head. You're like, oh my God, I should have flipped it. I'm going to ruin the barbecue. What is your favorite thing to throw on the grill? I, I love sausages on the grill. I like, I'm like, an, I'm a big American food kind of guy. I feel like, like mm -hmm. burgers, and sausages. I, you know, I love those. Oh, kinda, red snappers. The red, oh. yeah, how do you know about red snappers? No I way. told you, I love, I love no made. I, I don't know how I feel about the red snapper. I don't oh. know why oh, they're man. bright pink, but. <laughs> For those of you at home who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about hot dogs from Maine that are blistering bright red. Pink, pink, a pinkish red hue, which makes like no neon. Sense. Ne it's, it's a red you've never seen and you don't want to see in your hot dog. But we've been doing it our whole life. I like vegetables on the grill, onions yeah. on the grill, bread on the grill with like butter and char marks. Like I kind of I'm just like that grub kind of food. Like I'm not a long, slow roaster kind of guy. I don't have the patience for it, but I'm like fast, high heat 
burning things, charred, like that kind of thing. Okay. You mentioned, you know, the, the filming location was beautiful. You were in Tennessee, but uh, I'm wondering what, what kind of differences would you say there are between like Northeast grilling and Southern grilling? Huge differences. I mean, the patience that people in the South have for their barbecue is just unbelievable. You know, and I think that's just inherent, like they feel, they seem like more patient people in general, like where I'm from, especially New Yorkers, right? We're just, everyone's just like, ding, 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 ding. So when I think of barbecuing on the East coast, it just seems a little more fast and aggressive. I almost think of like tailgating a lot more, you know, Mm -hmm. the tailgates in the East coast football games, um, Midwest, it's like slow and easy. (laughs) <laughs> and just like, like, let's get the smoke, let's get the flavor. And, and I'm not, of course, I'm, I'm, that's not everybody, right? Because people on the East Coast do have some patience, but I just think of that. I just think slow, easy, really drawing out all the flavors, you know, uh, incorporating so many different aspects and making that barbecue unique. And the pride that they take in their barbecue is so on a different level. That's the cool part about food too. And the regionality is like at my age and I've traveled, I'm a pretty well-traveled guy. I still get my mind blown. And I'm like, man, I didn't even know that this existed. I didn't even (laughs) know that you could do this. And that's the fun part of food. So long story short, I think the South has it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this has been so much fun. Uh, We do want to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. And then we have one final question that we ask everybody. So rapid fire, we will start with East or West Coast? East Coast, come on. You you already (laughs) knew that. Uh, Favorite food city? New York City. Okay. Chips or fries? Fries. Gotta go fries. One item on your culinary bucket list? I'm Italian, I'm Calabrese. And I've, I've been to Italy 10 times. I've never been to Calabria. So I'll just say... A nice dinner in Calabria, drinking wine. That sounds pretty perfect. Um, I think you need to make that happen soon. TV or movies? TV. Go to coffee order. I'm a black coffee guy. Okay. Black coffee. I'm in, I'm out. Cold or hot? Whoa, good question. Both. Okay. Hot coffee. Depends on the season. Hot coffee in the morning when I wake up. Iced coffee, not the cold brew. Ice coffee. Why? No, cold yeah. brew. I don't know. It makes my head do tricks. Oh, like I, it is know, a little. It's yeah. a little intense. We what have an extensive. There? We have what? an extensive cold brew operation in, can, in our can apartment. I, can you please just tell me what is in there? Because the last time I drank one, I ran to San Diego from Los Angeles. Yeah, I think you need to dilute. You get the concentrate is very intense. So you okay. have to dilute it with a little yeah. water. I think okay. is the key. No uh, okay, last rapid fire: mayo or butter on your lobster roll? Oh. <laughs> mom, mom, don't listen. This is a sin, but I'm going to go butter. Ah, but, but, Connecticut style. But, but, I'm, but I'm telling you, it is <laughs> it is not well received that answer in Maine. It is. I'm going to. It's not good. They're both excellent. People in people in Maine don't. Mm-mm. Really? That's mm-mm. like a. It's a faux. Is... Like I'm, I'm telling you, mom's not going to be happy with that. answer. OK, well, mom, you know, plug your ears. <laughs> so final question for you here on Food Network Obsessed. We asked everybody this question. The menu for your perfect food day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. There's no rules. You can travel. You can time travel. Ooh. You can cook it. Somebody else can cook it whatever you want, like your perfect three meals and a dessert. Breakfast. We're in Maine. We're at a diner. I'm with my family. Bacon over medium eggs, sourdough toast, hash browns. We're laughing. We're drinking coffee. Maybe a blueberry pancakes in the middle and I have mm. like one or two bites. I'm dipping a lot of syrup in. Like a, like a table pancake. A table pancake. Probably <laughs> three, but at least one. Um, lunch. Guess where we're going? Jamaica. We're going oh, to Jamaica. We're going to Jamaica. Really? Jerk chicken. Yes. Plantains, rice, beans, some beef patties, a couple cold beers on the beach. Spicy. 
spicy. Mm-hmm. I'm talking heat. And then dinner, we're going to Italy. Yeah. We're going, we're going to Italy. I like veal personally. I love veal, a nice pasta, a meat, a slow, like, 20 course meal where just the appetizers, <laughs> the burratas and the prosciutto and the bread and the olive oil just keep coming. The red wine just keeps getting better and better. The pastas, the meats, the desserts, the tiramisu, something light. I'm not a big dessert guy, but just something light and flavorful at the end. And maybe an anisette or like a sambuca. I mean, well, all incorporated stomach- with family, family there with you. Family That's important. That, that makes uh, everything taste better when you're with uh, loved ones, I think. Yeah, and my sure. stomach is officially growling. So <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your stories and your insight. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I know a lot of our guests are entrepreneurs in their own right, but you can really feel Saban's entrepreneurial spirit Anyone feeling the itch to drop a business plan right about now? I know I am. And don't forget, we are going to take a quick break from releasing a new episode next Friday, but we will be back the week after. So in the meantime, make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss our next new episode. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We always love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next time.